Tabernacle Presbyterian Church presents Sunday with Tab. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, located at 34th and Central in Indianapolis, welcomes you to Sunday with Tab. Today, Carter Booker delivers the message entitled, The Unwinding. We'll also have music from the Sanctuary Choir. So join us now from Tabernacle Presbyterian Church for Sunday with Tab. Would you join me in proclaiming that which we believe from a brief statement of faith? We trust in Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God. Jesus proclaimed the reign of God, preaching good news to the poor and release to the captives, teaching by word and deed and blessing the children, healing the sick and binding up the brokenhearted, eating with outcasts, forgiving sinners, and calling all to repent and believe the gospel. Unjustly condemned for blasphemy and sedition, Jesus was crucified, suffering the depths of human pain and giving his life for the sins of the world. God raised this Jesus from the dead, vindicating his sinless life, breaking the power of sin and evil, delivering us from death to life eternal. With believers in every time and place, we rejoice that nothing in life or death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.
Our first scripture reading today comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 32, reading verses 1 through 14, the story of Moses, whose picture is on the front of your bulletin today. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from out of the land of Egypt, we did not know what's become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it into a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt? The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation." But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster he had planned to bring on his people. This is the word of the Lord. Our second scripture lesson this morning comes from the letter to the Philippians. It's chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 1 through verse 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, 
whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things that you have learned and received and heard and noticed in me, do them, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let us pray. Loving God, we are grateful for your word to us. We pray today that it would expand our perspective, deepen our understanding of you and of ourselves, and clarify how we might live more faithfully with one another and for your kingdom. Amen. About 10 years ago, the journalist George Packer published a book called The Unwinding. It was one of those books, it just seems like we have a lot of them these days, but it's one of those books where the author surveys the current landscape of American society and tries to sort of answer the question, how did we get here? Why are things the way they are? I had a chance to reread the book recently, and its premise resonated with my reading of Philippians in preparation for today. So I'd like just to share the premise with you. I think it goes something like this. The stability we experience in our lives as individuals and as a community, that stability is often more fragile than we expect or know. And no matter how hard fought or hard won that stability is, it can always be weakened or undermined before we know it. And the choices and decisions that undermine that stability can range from the most momentous, large-scale, public kind of choices all the way down to the most private, seemingly insignificant choices. The choices and decisions start to undo what has previously been accomplished or settled. Things start to unwind in ways that we didn't anticipate or foresee. Before we know it, we find ourselves in a very different situation, individually or communally, wondering what in the world has happened. I can't help but think that the Apostle Paul was familiar with this phenomenon. He spent his life traveling the Roman Empire, calling people to belief in Christ, establishing communities of Christian witness, and his letters show how hard it was for those communities to hold together, to remain bound to Christ and to each other long enough to perpetuate the mission started with Paul. Probably the most familiar example of this is the struggle in the Corinthian church. One of the most prominent cities of the empire had a diverse and growing Christian presence, but it seemed to be unraveling almost from the start. 
We only have two letters from Paul to the Corinthians, but those letters are just full of admonition, advice, and challenge about division, conflict, and strife. This is the kind of situation we see reflected in Paul's letter to the Philippians. In our passage today, Paul calls attention to a conflict among the Christians in Philippi. Of all the things Paul talks about in this letter, of all the concerns he has for the Philippian church, really, this letter is directed toward this conflict that we see between these two named individuals that we read about in chapter 4. There is a sense in which the choices and decisions that are being made between Euodia and Syntyche run the risk of undoing what has been accomplished by Paul and his fellow missionaries in Macedonia. Euodia and Syntyche. Of all the people that Paul might write to in Philippi, we might not have guessed these two. After all, the figure usually associated with the church is Lydia, Paul's first convert. And the names of Euodia and Syntyche don't appear in the Acts account of Paul's mission in Philippi. So what do we know about them? They're two women who are leaders in the church in Philippi. They are prominent people in the church, maybe even hosting their own house churches in the city. We know they have to be important. Otherwise, why would Paul mention them by name in the letter? We know they work closely with Paul in his ministry and outreach in the city of Philippi, and they were important participants of that mission effort. And of course, most importantly, we know that there is some kind of conflict between them. As we've already suggested, it seems that the structure and content of Paul's writing was to address the problem between these two church leaders. So what was the problem? We just really don't know. The letter doesn't tell us what the conflict is between Euodia and Syntyche. Some have suggested that these two leaders reflect maybe different groups competing against each other within the Philippian church. One of them represents uh, the Jewish Christians in the church and the other the Gentile Christians. And we know that's a common conflict within early Christianity. Some people have suggested that one of the women represents those people in the church who want a more strict way to live the Christian life, maybe almost a legalistic kind of group. And the other woman represents those Christians who want to experience more freedom in Christ. Some think it has to do with support for the Apostle Paul. One group wants to keep supporting Paul. And we know if we read the letter to the Philippians, Paul's thanking the Philippians over and over for the gifts that they have given to him and the way they have supported him. And then the other woman may support a group who says, well, Paul's gone. Let someone else pick up the dime on him. We'll keep our resources here at home. There could just be theological issues between them. You know how it can be. People take up a particular issue. They get dug in in their positions. Or maybe it's just a plain old power struggle, personality conflict, something like that. If nothing else, this conflict is a strategic error. As you surely know, to become a Christian in the Roman Empire carried a level of risk. 
As New Testament scholar Larry Hurtado has demonstrated, even if we just set aside the repression that might come from political authorities in the Roman Empire, there were important social costs that came with being a Christian. Those costs tended to be borne by individuals who made their choice to respond to the preaching of Paul and to devote their lives to Jesus. There is a chance that Euodia and Syntyche were female converts, independent of their husbands or fathers, that they have risen to leadership in the church out of their experience working with Paul in the Macedonian mission. But now, if they forged this conflict between each other, a conflict so serious that Paul has to address it in the letter and even call one of his other colleagues to get involved, then they may run the risk of exposing the whole Christian community in Philippi. They may run the risk of weakening the church in a way that it might not recover. Will others be exposed to the pressures of their pagan environment because of this conflict? The whole thing could just come undone. The conflict could just unwind what stability and growth the church had experienced since Paul's mission work there. However it shakes out, what we do know is that Paul is concerned, actually pretty worried. The solution for Paul, the solution for Euodia and Syntyche and for the Philippians is the same solution for the Corinthians and every other church Paul founded. It is unity around the person of Jesus and the mission to proclaim the kingdom of God. Reflecting on Paul's view of the church, theologian N.T. Wright says, Paul saw the church as a microcosmos, a little world not simply as an alternative to the present one, an escapist's country cottage for those tired of the city, but really as a prototype of what was to come. That is why Paul stressed so much unity and holiness. In Corinthians, Paul uses the extended metaphor of the human body to convey his desire for unity. In Philippians, written approximately 10 years after the Corinthian correspondence, Paul expresses the call for unity in the idea of the mind of Christ. He tells Euodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord, chapter 4, verse 2. And this is not some throwaway line at the end of the letter. He has been arguing for this perspective throughout the letter. Chapter 1, verse 27, Paul commands the Philippians to live in a manner worthy of the gospel by standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind. Chapter 2, verse 2, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, he writes. And probably the most well-known expression of this idea, chapter 2, verse 5, it's so the introduction to the Christ hymn that we all know in chapter 2, Paul writes, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Here Paul calls the Philippians. He calls Euodia and Syntyche to demonstrate unity with each other as a way to demonstrate unity with Christ. But what does Paul mean to be like-minded or of one mind. He clearly has no naive 
or Pollyannish sense of unity here. As the Pauline scholar Walter Hansen puts it, Paul isn't calling the Philippians, this is the way he puts it, quote, to be ditto marks of each other, unquote. And Paul doesn't dictate specific conclusions or resolutions to the conflict. He knows this kind of conflict can undo the good work of the Philippian mission in Macedonia. And just as Euodia and Syntyche worked hard with Paul to spread the gospel of Christ, they're going to have to work even harder, do that hard work to find unity with each other and within the church. To be of the same mind for Paul means to share a dominant attitude. The central focus is the same, to see the same goal. It means to see that our common goal is the expression of Christ's love in our work as the church. Our dominant attitude reflects how we seek that goal, in humility, in self-sacrifice, with concern for others, for the mission as a whole. Euodia and Syntyche, I'm sure they had good ideas. I'm sure they had good leadership skills. I'm sure they had given up much for their commitment to Christ. I'm sure they had much more to give to the mission in Philippi. But somewhere along the way, they lost sight of what bound them to each other. They may have even lost sight of who bound them to each other. Instead of having the same mind, the mind of Christ, they developed a way of thinking that threatened to unravel all they had previously worked for. What can we say about Paul's challenge to Euodia and Syntyche? First, I think Paul is clearly reflecting God's desire to see the church succeed. This is not our church. This is God's church. Just like with the Philippians, he is the one who has called us to this place. He is the one who invites us to join his mission to serve one another, to serve this community, this city, and beyond. God is with us and wants us to fulfill our calling. He doesn't want the work of the church to devolve into an unwinding. So how will we respond to Paul's call to be of the same mind? We're a tennis bookers. We're tennis people. We're tennis, a tennis family. I don't know how much you all know about tennis. But when we watch a tennis match, let's say a singles match, right? We've got one-on-one. -on -one. A point in the game usually ends with what we would call a winner or an error. Someone hits a great shot, there's the winner, they win the point. Or someone, it's what I often do, club it into the net, right, and there's the error. One of the things I've learned about tennis from Susie, she's taught me this, is that often we are wrong to focus on the final shot. Often the winning shot or the error has been set up by earlier decisions and choices in the point. The footwork has to be just right early on. The strategy has to be just right early on to enable the winner or to force the error. The point is won or lost before we even get to the last shot. Likewise, the unity 
or the unwinding we see at some point in the future is going to be the result of the choices and decisions that we make today, this week, the rest of this year, into next year. So what will you do to demonstrate your embrace of unity and your resistance to the unwinding impulse? Maybe you'll join a study or a service opportunity where you learn or serve with others in our church, especially with those whom you don't often meet with. You'll get to hear some different perspectives and see their commitment in a way that you might not otherwise know. Maybe you'll go into your committee meetings, ready to support the consensus, even if it doesn't go your way. For heaven's sakes, we could just stop gossiping about each other. And we could just prepare ourselves each week to join our brothers and sisters in worship. There's an old Peanuts comic strip. It's a one frame. It's got Lucy and Linus in it. And they're face to face with each other. And as usual, Linus looks worried. As usual, Lucy looks bossy. <laughs> Lucy says, these five fingers, individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them together like this in a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. <laughs> May it be so with us. Amen. And let us pray. Father, your son prayed that we might be one, even as you are one. Through the power of your spirit, we ask that you do that work in and among us. You're listening to Sunday with Tab, a production of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. We hope you have found inspiration and comfort in today's program. There are many ways to enjoy today's message again. Subscribe to the Tab Podcast on your favorite podcast app or go to tabpres.org, tap on the graphic marked Sermons, and select the sermon you wish to hear. While there, you can also view the entire worship service. We invite you to join us for worship this morning at Tabernacle Presbyterian Church. We're located at the corner of 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis. At 8 a.m., we have a communion service in the chapel. And at 10 o'clock, a beautiful worship service in the sanctuary. The 10 o'clock service is also live-streamed on our YouTube channel, Tab Indie. For all information on the services and streaming, go to tabpres.org. That's T-A-B-P-R-E-S dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening, and join us next week at the same time for Sunday with Tab. Tab.